0: Welcome to the Personality Psychology Podcast. My name is Rebecca Weidmann, and I am the host of today's episode. I'm so happy to be joined by Dr. Michael Gross, who is a professor for Psychological Assessment at the Health and Medical University in Potsdam, Germany. He studies personality assessment, personality development, and the effects of personality traits in intrapersonal and interpersonal outcomes. More recently, however, Michael also engages in the discussion surrounding causal inference in psychological research. Hi, Michael.
1: Hey, hi, Rebecca.
0: So before we talk about causal inference, do you mind explaining what causal inference is?
1: Yeah, sure. When you do causal inference, usually you estimate the causal effect. So you estimate how strong the effect of one variable is on another variable, say A and B. And the thing is, because you cannot observe directly the causal effects, you need to infer them. And there's a, a big debate about what actually are causal effects. I mean, it would go too far to go into the details here. And I'm also not an expert on this philosophical discussions. For our discussion now, it suffices to say that if you think that one variable A causes a variable B, that's a causal effect. And if you make inference about that, that's causal inference. And also, I should add, like, to think about that is like, if A causes B, then if you change A, B changes as well. Versus if A does not cause B, then if you change A, uh, B might not change. For example, the effect of psychotherapy on neuroticism. So it is actually even a meta-analysis on that. So if you do therapy, uh, like, let's say speech therapy, And that is, uh, according to the findings, that has a causal effect on neuroticism. So if you do therapy, it decreases your neuroticism. And there are actually also experiments on that. So basically, you randomly assign people. Either they get therapy or they are in a waiting group, let's say. And then you have two groups that you randomly assign. So And then afterwards, after the therapy, you measure the uh, neuroticism level of the two groups. And the one was only in the waiting group. So they didn't get therapy. And then if you observe a difference, that suggests or that strongly suggests that there's a causal effect of the therapy on neuroticism.
0: Thank you. Yeah. So you recently published a paper together with Julia Rohrer and Felix Tömmes about the taboo against explicit causal inference. What is explicit versus implicit causal inference?
1: Yeah. So this is about how you how you communicate a causal inference in research and uh, so we made this distinction between implicit and explicit causal inference and so explicitly would be that you clearly communicate already in the introduction or at least in the method section that you as you try to estimate a causal effect with uh, sticking to our example of psychotherapy on narcissism that would be explicit and then you like adjust all your methods your research goals the research question the hypothesis it's all in a, aligned with this explicit goal of estimating this causal effect. And implicit causal inference would rather be that you say in the introduction or also in the maybe also in the abstract or in other parts of the manuscript that you say, okay, we wanna investigate the association of how is therapy related to neuroticism or we want to predict with therapy the neuroticism level. That would be implicit if other parts of the manuscript suggest that you are actually interested in causal inference. I mean, I have to say in my own research, but I also uh, think in a lot of other research that actually is the case. So in the sense that often, because causal inference is very difficult, So sometimes researchers, they say it's descriptive, the findings, or A predicts B. I mean, one famous example is, for example, the Moffitt study, where they investigated how self-control in childhood, self-control predicts later life outcomes like health or wealth. And they often talk in the introduction about how they predict these outcomes, and at the same time they often mention in the intro, also introduction or discussion section they mention that it's really important to investigate whether self-control predicts these life outcomes for policymakers. Because and then they also talk that it might be an active ingredient, so that it actually kind of causes these life outcomes. So basically this implicitly assumes that they are interested in causal effects because like policymakers, and they talk about how you should change then self-control in childhood, or that you should somehow have a program that increases self-control for children. And basically the assumption is, okay, if self-control actually leads to poor health and wealth then you should actually intervene so you should uh, have a program in place to increase people's self-control or somehow help them to deal with their low self-control self-control but basically the assumption here is that self-control has this causal effect because if self-control will only predict these outcomes but wouldn't be the cause then an intervention wouldn't help because basically you would just you might uh, change the level of self-control in children but that doesn't change that they have poor health later because i don't know maybe some genes cause low self-control and cause uh, poor health and then it looks like self-control causes this uh, health but actually uh, it's not a cause and so in this case then if you intervene and if the policymakers say Hey, we change self-control. It wouldn't actually help people to get healthier. The, the main point is here that in a lot of research we are actually interested in causal effects because they are highly relevant for policymakers. But often, because it's difficult to do, uh, we don't make this uh, aim explicit, and we also make don't make the causal inference explicit. That's what we call implicit causal inference, or that's why we said this uh, taboo about it uh, against causal inference. Because a lot of researchers uh, feel like, especially non-experimental research, uh, that it's not possible or it's too difficult and they don't even try to do that. So they don't do it explicitly, at least.
0: And how does it impair psychological research? Like when we continue doing this, we're not explicit about the causal inference, but we still think it's a causal factor in our studies. Or why is it a bad thing to do? So the thing
1: is, uh, basically, we neglect the major goal of science. So, and I would say, like in, especially in personality psychology, there's not a lot of research on causal effects or not a lot of explicit research on causal effects. So, and, uh, but this is a major goal of science, causal inference or also causal effects because it's important for policymaking. And also uh, causal effects are part of a lot of theories. But let's first talk about the policy making. So basically, description and prediction is also fine. For example, you can with description, you can detect, oh, I don't know, maybe young people get more and more depressed. So 10 years ago, they were less depressed and now on average, they get more depressed. And so maybe that's important in the sense that you describe a trend. And that's that's also fine and important. And it's kind of indicates, oh, we need to change something. and prediction is also important in the sense that you can predict who will who is most likely to develop depression in the next years. So both the description and prediction are important. But on the other hand, uh, causal inference is also important because if you want to change something, so if you want to reduce the level of depression among young people, for example, description and prediction doesn't tell you how to do that. So they, they just tell you there's a problem and they predict a like likely outcome. But they don't tell you how you can intervene and therefore we need causal effect it's know-how basically you know how okay if you change this and this in a young person's life then this said this and this consequence and of course then it's the policymakers who decide if they want to change this but we as researchers i think we we shouldn't neglect this goal or also we ideally we would provide policymakers with knowledge about causal effects so they then later can uh, use this knowledge to make a difference yeah and the other thing is that i already mentioned a bit is about the theories so uh, causal effects are usually the building blocks of a lot of theories and you have for example you have the neo socioanalytic theory that proposes that investments in age-graded social roles during early adulthood that they drive some of the personality changes that we observe in young adulthood so for example that people become high in conscientiousness in their early adulthood because they start a job and this is one of the theories in personality development and here for example you propose this causal effect of starting a job on personality and so this is for example a causal effect in the theory but there are many other theories where you have causal effects also about consciousness that it, causes health later there are also theories in that and other theories like whole trade theory for example they proposed that features of the situation they elicit some personality states basically they propose also causal effects actually i think most of the theories contain causal effects or causal effects are central parts of theories so and then if we as researchers don't investigate causal effects explicitly we also uh, there's a divergence as we say in the taboo paper between the theories and the empirical findings so the empirical findings don't speak to the theories or they don't test the theories because basically they the empirical findings are about description and prediction and the theories are more about causal effects so ideally they would align with each other and ideally you would test the causal effects that the theories uh, propose
0: Thank you so much. So what would you say are the biggest challenges for causal inference in personality psychology?
1: I think this also aligns to the what I just said with the taboo, because basically the reasons for the taboo is that uh, causal effect estimation is really difficult uh, in psychology in general, and uh, I think especially in personality psychology. For, to talk about these challenges, I think it's good to make the distinction that Aaronen, uh, so marcus eronen in uh, 2020 paper he introduced this distinction between studies when the cause is non-psychological and studies when the cause is psychological so it depends on the causal variables so like in our example with therapy therapy is an environmental factor so it's non-psychological and neuroticism would be psychological So, and the distinction is important to make to say, okay, there's research where we investigate non-psychological causes. So that would be, for example, the effect of an environment on personality, like let's say you do therapy on personality, or uh, if you get a child, for example, on the personality, or if there's a COVID epidemic and what effects does this have on personality the cause is non-psychological and in this kind of research the biggest challenges I think are confounding variables for example if you want to investigate if you have a child what is the effect of having a child on personality so there might be a lot of confounding variables like for example if you you just get a, a good job or a permanent position and then finally you start thinking about getting a child and then you have a child so maybe because you have a permanent position now that causes some personality change and not be because you have a child, so and if you don't don't control for the change in the status of your job, so then you think oh actually because you got a child your personality changed not because your job situation changed. So I think there are confounding variables are a big issue, but I think when non psychological variables are the causes, like with this uh, having a child for example, then uh, I think there it's relatively easy to do causal inference in the sense that often it's possible to do an experiment or maybe a natural experiment so in the sense we already talked about this example with therapy and neuroticism so here it's relatively easy to do an experiment you just recruit your participants and then you randomly assign them half of the participants gets therapy now and the other half is in a waiting group and later you compare how the personality changes in the therapy group compared to the control group so that's relatively easy but of course in some cases you cannot do an experiment like for example with this example with the getting a child so you cannot randomly assign people and force them to have a child or not and so then in these cases there might be other possibilities like in one that is that can be used are natural experiments so natural experiments are like People are more or less randomly assigned to some conditions, but the assignment is not done by the researchers, but it's rather done by government, or there are some random events that happen in nature, like an earthquake or something. And this randomness in the effect, or also that the government randomly assigns people to some policies, so this helps them to make causal inference. And for example, the Vietnam lottery draft, uh, this is an example of a natural experiment. And there it's like, so the government in the U.S. uh, for the Vietnam War, they needed uh, military personnel, but they didn't need all of the males that they had in the population. So they decided to do a lottery. And so they picked certain birthdays in the lottery. And if this uh, birthday got picked, then these people needed to go enlist for the Vietnam War. And if the number didn't get picked, then you didn't have to do that now in economics at least there are a lot of uh, studies that exploit this natural experiment and now in order to investigate what is the effect of serving for the military or going to war what is the effect of that on some life outcomes you can then compare people who were picked by the lottery to people who were not picked by the lottery in order to investigate what is the effect of uh, experiencing the Vietnam War yeah i should also say i mean you usually use an instrumental variable estimation so you use some special or sophisticated statistical methods to estimate causal effects but basically these natural experiments they're also a way to um to estimate causal effects so and i think with experiments and natural experiments you can already do a lot of research on causal effects when the uh, cause is non-psychological. But as I said, sometimes the cause is psychological, and that would be all the effects the, that you think, when you think about effects of personality on something else. And there, it's uh, I would say it's very challenging to investigate causal effects because it's very hard to run an experiment where you only manipulate the personality trait, let's say, that you want to investigate, and not anything else of the psychological mind of that person so and this is called fat-handedness so basically you have an intervention let's say you want to investigate the effect of neuroticism on health and then you say okay we know that uh, therapy uh, reduces neuroticism so you say okay in order to investigate the effect of neuroticism on health you give uh, your participants a random group a subgroup of your participants you give therapy and the other one doesn't get therapy and then uh, you use this experiment as a manipulation of neuroticism in order to investigate the effect of neuroticism on health later in life and the problem is here that in this case the therapy it doesn't only influence the neuroticism level of the participants it also influences other aspects of person's life so for example it affects well-being it also might affect I don't know how much social contact the persons have so if they have speech therapy and they uh, every two weeks they go and uh, now every two uh, every week they go for one or two hours and talk to somebody about their life so then they have more social contact and maybe social contact then improves health but not actually neuroticism Or, uh, as I said, the well-being, if therapy increases well-being, well-being might actually cause uh, improvement in health and not neuroticism. And that's a general issue with uh, research that tries to investigate the effects of personality traits on something else on our life outcomes for example that there it's very hard to do an experiment or a clean experiment where you only manipulate the cause that you want to manipulate but nothing else but but that's not only a problem of experiments it, it's also an issue in non experimental research because they are the same things happen it just happens in nature so basically if you get a if your salary gets raised or something it impacts a lot of psychological traits potentially and so if you do an observational study or if there's a if it's a natural experiment you all always want to investigate variation in the causal variable let's say uh, neuroticism and um, and this this variation in neuroticism might always go hand in hand with some variation in other variables that share the same cause as neuroticism i don't know was this clear
0: yeah yeah it was i'm just wondering so for example i study personality traits of romantic partners and their health and their well-being i don't really have a way then to study causal inference because i study a psychological cause and i cannot keep all the other psychological causes constant that means should i abandon ship and change my research focus or make explicit that i'm never gonna think about causal inference it's really difficult to um to apply mm. what you said to like different research uh, subfields
1: yeah i mean it's really tough uh, a little bit optimistic although like for example Ronan, he's he in his article he was not so optimistic i think he rather recommends that you focus more on description and that you have robust findings about description it's a dilemma because if you neglect these causal effects, they are still important and they're still highly relevant so in the sense that and i often like even research on personality change where you don't have psychological causes even there in the introduction usually it says okay personality predicts this 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 life outcome therefore it's important to investigate what what are the causes of personality you know and basically the assumption here is personality actually causes these light outcomes because otherwise it wouldn't be so important to understand how personality changes if it doesn't really cause all these major light outcomes like health and stuff so in the way it's very important to understand the uh the causes of personality and so therefore i think it's very important to study it at the same time it's very challenging i agree with that i think one thing that might we hope is for example to think about the concept, uh, conceptualization of personality traits so that we get a better sense maybe these broad traits are not so useful like for example this big five because they uh, mesh together a lot of different things uh, like i mean uh, let's say extraversion it has a lot of facets so you have different facets that all impact this measure of extraversion then you have all kinds of biases in the self report you have this halo effect how much you like yourself then well-being influences it Uh, so there is a lot of the measurement is not very clean and I think if we want to make progress on research on the causes of personality perhaps it would be good to have a clean measurement and also conceptualization of the traits so, maybe it's better to focus on something more narrow, like let's say how much you talk or some other more facets or nuances, because maybe it would then be easier to find some manipulations that mainly impact this facet or nuance of personality, but that hardly uh, affect any other psychological traits. And then, if you find these manipulations, that might be a way to start studying the effects of of personality nuances and facets on outcomes so maybe the the focus on broad traits like the big five maybe that's actually a hindrance when it comes to causal inference because it's really hard to find the manipulation and it's kind of fuzzy you know what is actually manipulated and um, so I, I think Perhaps that would be a way forward that we first work on the measurement and conceptualization of personality traits, that we have cleaner measurements and also clearer conceptualizations. And then perhaps we can find manipulations that really cleanly only manipulate this one facet or nuance of personality. I mean, that I think would be the goal. The other, I mean, other potential uh, ways would be this computational modeling is one way that I think some people try, where basically you you make more uh, more complex theoretical models in order to try to see what you can predict with the models in order to specify what are the causal effects that you assume, and then basically you compare that to what you observe in your observational data. But I'm not sure if that's actually so productive when it comes to causal inference. I haven't thought it through yet, but. That might be a way because perhaps uh, if you clearly specify these models and then make uh, these models imply a lot of things, and then you could compare that to the observational data that you you have. And then if you find inconsistencies, you could go back and modify your model and then do that as long uh, until you find a model that really fits to the data that you observe. And then I guess we could have more trust that the model is actually correct and that the assumed causal effects in the model, that they are actually also, that's actually what's going on.
0: So is there a study in our subfield or in psychology more general that has been exemplary in studying the causal effect of a psychological cause?
1: Yeah, actually, I don't know a good example, to be honest. I think there are are, uh, studies when the cause is not psychological. I think there are good studies, Uh, but uh, when the cause is psychological or when the cause is a personality difference, then I don't know any uh, concrete studies. But yeah, I mean, I would need to do some research, but I think it's really tough. I know some research, for example, I think uh, on the effects of extroversion on well-being, for example, what they did, I think, they uh, give instructions to behave really extroverted for one week and the control group doesn't get this instruction. And then later, I think they observed that this group was also high in well-being. It was an experimental study, so they uh, randomly sent people to either get this instruction to behave really extroverted for one week, and they, I think they gave more concrete instructions and in the control group they probably got some other task or some other instructions and basically they found some effect I mean this is an attempt but of course like there it's also uh, also debate the the fat head this issue in this example so maybe this instruction also caused some other psychological difference not only extroversion and that might be a reason why they found it but I think in general we should rather reward attempts to, do, to investigate that. And I think my approach is always like it's good that we attempt it because we learn from our mistakes, we might find new ways. And then we should clearly discuss the limitations and everything. But I think it's better to attempt it than to, to say, oh, we cannot do it anyway and just stick to implicit causal inference and just say, oh, we only focus on description and prediction. So, I think it's always better to try, and we as a field should also reward people who try that and knowingly that it's really challenging to do. That's how we make progress and i think in general also like for maybe that's also something for the channels also for egp or for the european journal of personality but also maybe for a channel of personality and social psychology because they are the leading journals, so they could say okay we reward articles or manuscripts that investigate causal effects and that do it explicitly because there is a lack of research on this i think that would be great and i think actually these uh, these journals are really important also because in economics, for example, I did my PhD in Tübingen and there I also got to know some economics um, people because it was interdisciplinary, the graduate school that I went to. If you want to make a career in economics, you need to investigate causal effects. So basically, in the, in the top journals, uh, you need to investigate causal effects. Otherwise, you cannot get published in top journals. As far as I know, you also will only become a professor in economics if you publish in these top journals. So basically, they, are, they have the incentive structures different in economics than in personality psychology or in maybe in psychology in general, in the sense that in economics, they really reward causal inference and they really encourage that. And that's led by the top journals. And in uh, I would say in personality psychology, that's not currently in place. So I think um, now a strong criteria is that, oh, it should not only be cross-sectional self-report, the study. Because then I think at EGP and JPSP, they say, oh, that's not acceptable. But I don't think they have a strong focus yet the, on causal effects. So that uh, because they often, it's fine if everybody is just doing description or prediction, that's fine.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. What do you see are the current top sins that you see committed from researchers who um, study prediction or description, but it sounds like they're making causal inferences?
1: I mean, uh, that's what we also said in paper that would be good to make it explicit so that you explicitly aim for causal inference and that you explicitly try to estimate causal effects, because basically it's really difficult and we already talked about that. So uh, you would often you there are a lot of limitations or maybe you have some confounding variables that are not in your data and then you cannot control for it. But I think there are ways to deal with these issues. And if it's more explicit, I think then the discussion section will be more focused on this issue. And then you you more uh, strongly explore the limitations in terms of causal inference of the study. Plus, you do more robustness checks, more systematic. So if you do this explicitly, the causal effects, for example, even if you haven't assessed the variable that might be a confounder, uh, then you can later do a robustness check where you uh, make assumptions like there are some r packages where you can run some analysis and where you make assumptions that uh, this confounder effect is so and so strong. And then uh, you investigate would this confounding effect nullify the effect that you found. And so basically you have method to estimate how robust is the finding that you uh, made. So if you find an effect of the one variable on the other, or it looks like an effect, then uh, you could use this robustness check to make sure sh- uh, to rule out some potential conf- confounding variables. I mean, another thing is that we also said in the book paper is it would be good to draw this text, uh, so directed acyclic graphs, where you draw the assumptions about causal effects. So you have a network of variables and you in this stack you basically draw so you draw arrows between the variables and then you illustrate what your assumptions are about causal effect if you do this then that helps you and also the reader to think uh, critically about what uh, variables you should control for what variables you shouldn't control for because some variables you shouldn't control for for example mediators or the collider variables you shouldn't control for when you draw this graph then you, you have a good overview of what are the assumptions about the causal effect and then uh, this helps then you to find the ideal uh, design to study the causal effect uh plus clearly communicates to the readers your assumptions and uh, they can also then question your assumptions and i say this might be a pipe dream in the sense that you completely expose yourself, because basically, if you draw this stack, you illustrate the limitations or you make a lot of assumptions explicit. And then the reviewers have a lot of a lot of reviewers might not agree then with your assumptions. But on the other hand, I mean, that, that I think that would be the most productive way, because then then you also get the critical uh, assessment of the reviews. Ideally, you do a register report because then the uh, reviewers see your uh, deck uh, before you conduct the study and then they see the graph then they say oh we don't agree with the graph so we think you should uh, this variable also has an effect on your outcome and on your um, causal variable of interest and then uh, that you additionally should control for that so i think that would be a good way
0: i think a lot of people might and um, be confused about the definition. What is a collider, a mediator, and a confounding variable?
1: Yeah, confounding variable is if, if a third variable causes the treatment variable, like in our example, it was therapy and the outcome variable, like let's say uh, neuroticism. So, for example, like education might impact uh, how likely you are to get therapy and how your neuroticism level. So, and then this would be a confounding variable if you don't do experiment then getting therapy might be related to neuroticism but this relationship or the effect that you find might be confounded by education because education causes both so that would be an example for a confounding effect so mediator would be more like um if you have an effect of therapy on on the neuroticism therapy has an effect on how much you talk about your personal problems, let's say, and how much you talk about your personal problems has an effect on neuroticism. Or another example from mediator would be therapy has an effect on how much you talk about your personal problems and how much advice you get from other people. And in this case, you get uh, advice by the therapist. And then the mediator would be how much advice you get by other people uh, about your personal life. And maybe that would be the mediator. So in the sense that therapy has an effect on how much advice you get by other people about your personal life and uh, how much advice you get has an impact on neuroticism. So maybe that would be an example that for mediator. And the thing is, if you want to investigate the effect of therapy on neuroticism, you shouldn't control for the mediator because then you take away some of the effect that you are interested in. And the third thing is collider bias. An example for a collider bias would be uh, if you want to investigate the effect of intelligence on conscientiousness and uh, whether you uh, started at university or not might be a collider bias, so it uh, might be a collider variable. So, if you control for studying at university, so basically you have collected data and you uh, your consciousness is your dependent variable, and then you re- regress it on IQ and on uh, whether you studied at college uh, university or not. Then you get collider bias because um, studying at university is caused by both intelligence and consciousness. And uh, then if you control for studying at the university, then you induce this collider bias because you shouldn't control for this collider variable that is impacted by both intelligence and conscientiousness.
0: That means the causality is reversed compared to a confounding variable. A confounding variable is something that causes both of those variables, but then a collider is something that is caused by both of those variables
1: yeah exactly okay it's caused yeah it's caused by both of these variables and then if you then control for it in your analysis then you induce this bias and so you shouldn't control for these variables and uh I mean it's important to talk also about mediators and collider variables because sometimes if you don't know about that you might just think oh let's control for as many variables as possible let's just include all the variables as control variables just to be on the safe side. So if you only think confounding variables are an issue, then you would include everything in uh, your control variables. But uh, that's actually a bit uh, dangerous, because then you might control for mediators and collider variables. And then you induce bias in your effect estimation.
0: Thank you so much. I was just wondering if someone is very new to the causal inference literature, and they want to learn more and also improve their research. What articles and books would you recommend?
1: One article that I already mentioned is this article by Aronan in 2008 called Causal Discovery and the Problem of Psychological Interventions. It's very good, I would say, because it also makes this distinction that I talked about: psychological causes and non-psychological causes. And it also talks about this issue. It talks about this very clearly. It's a bit pessimistic uh, in the sense that it uh, doesn't see a lot of hope that we can manage to investigate psychological causes. But I think it's very good in the sense that you get a good sense of what are the issues and the major challenge for causal inference. I'm more optimistic, so I think we shouldn't stop there, and I think we should try to find ways to investigate causal effects even if they are psychological causes but as i said i think it's a good starting point this article then book is this by morgan and winship this counterfactuals and causal inference i think the last edition was in 2014 and so this is a good one then the article by julia Rohrer of 2018 this thinking clearly about correlations and causation that's yes, that's a pretty good one and then van der weel uh, he also published an article about confounding variables so uh, in 2019 principles of confounder selection uh, lastly we recently uh, uploaded a preprint so because i uh, applied for funding for a scientific network it's called the explicit causal inference and personality uh, research so esip network so there's also a homepage about it and in this network we had already several meetings and we wrote an article about natural experiments and the title is natural experiments missed opportunities for causal inference in psychology and i think this is also a good text because there we talk about natural experiments and how they can be harnessed to estimate causal effect and i think they also they are underutilized also in personality psychology so i think that's uh, also a good text that might inspire some people
0: Perfect. We'll link all of those articles and books on the website. All right. So we're nearing the end of the podcast. And I was wondering about your personal journey to the topic of causal inference. What got you first interested in the topic?
1: During my time as a PhD student in Tübingen, like I worked on longitudinal research on personality traits. And basically, my interest, more or less explicitly, was in causal effects. And Then, in discussions with the co-authors, I realized, hey, actually, it's very tough to investigate causal effects. Plus, we kind of decided that we don't even try to investigate causal effects, that we focus on description and prediction. But I noticed, actually, the main interest is in causal effects. For example, we talked about socialization effects in one paper that was about narcissism development. And this is clearly also causal language. So I I felt like, oh, actually we should try to estimate causal effects, but also some of the co-authors said, okay, that's not really possible. So, and that's how I became aware that actually there's this disconnect between how we do research in personality psychology and what we are actually interested, what uh, often we are interested, at least in that theories or also for policymakers, that uh, the causal effects are important. And so that's how I kind of came aware about this issue. And then at the conference, I met Julia Rohrer and we talked about this and then asked her if she also wants, she also is interested in this, if she would like write a paper about this issue. And yeah, later we also talked to Felix Thomas about it and that's how we kind of kicked that off. Now, I'm still looking forward to do research on that also and also to apply that more often so that I, in my research projects, also try to explicitly investigate causal effects. There's still a lot to do in this field.
0: Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you for answering all my questions about causal inference and being on the podcast.
1: Yeah, no worries. Thank you for having me. It was really nice talking to you.